Welcome to episode 73 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of writer director J.J. Abrams, as well as his creator, Bad Robot Universe. I'm your host, my name is Marcelo Inestroza, joined as always by my fellow co-host, Matt Crandall, and on today's edition, we'll be talking about Lost, season 6, The End. Alright guys, so essentially, what we will be doing today is talking about the two-hour series finale of Lost. Watching the end, I love the emotion of this episode, and I've mentioned to you before off-air that something that is a pet peeve of mine is when shows have series finales that mainly address issues that only started at the start of their last season and ignore a lot of stuff that came before. So 90% of this episode, and the heart of this episode, is wrapping up the Flash Sideways, telling us what Flash Sideways is, why Flash Sideways was important. And it is the emotional heart of the episode, but Flash Sideways was something I didn't know about or didn't even consider until 16 episodes ago in the 601 premiere. So part of me is like, great, I love it. If you have been tracking everything in the mythology of Lost with what the island is, Charles and Ben's fight, Jacob's workings. A lot of that is sped through in such a way that is very quick. Some of the on-island action is satisfying, and I don't mean to say that it's not satisfying, and the bookends of the show being opening on Jack's eye as he wakes up, closing on Jack's eye as he dies, are fantastic, and I love that. But the thing that the writers and producers of Lost were mostly interested in was the heart and emotion, and the only way that they got that out was in sticking to this new thing, making Flash Sideways more important than it had been previous, and Flash Sideways was not anything I had been tracking for six years. I had only started thinking about Flash Sideways three months ago, when that final season started. So in my mind, I still love this finale. And as soon as it does kick off within 20 minutes, you're crying and the last 20 minutes you don't stop. So it is satisfying in terms of an emotional journey, but in terms of does everything on Island live up to its potential? Not really. Is there a lot of gaps in what happened to certain characters after the events on the island, absolutely big time. It's the emotion and the heart that carries the day, so it still ends up being a satisfying watch, even on this rewatch, even if a lot of those glaring things as we were watching the seasons start to add up, that if you do a stack of stuff they answered versus stuff they didn't or that didn't pay off in a satisfying way, I think that that second stack is a little bit taller. I feel that they really didn't answer anything in particular besides how the flash sideways work. I was thinking as I was watching this episode, if they would have introduced the flash sideways much earlier in the show's run, we would have gotten used to it by now and it would have become like an integral part of the show. But I think on one hand, the flash sideways was crippling and boring. And on the other hand, the flash sideways was a way to revitalize the show and turn the show on its head. But there were times when the Flash Sideways was used correctly, and there were times when the Flash Sideways was just boring and laborious. As far as some of the final events on the islands, it's going to sound strange, but other than the emotional goodbyes that we had in this episode between James and Juliet and Jack and Kate and Jack and Hurley, we saw Bernard Forrestville, we saw Jin and Son in the Flash 
flash sideways. This really didn't feel like a finale to me. I felt the emotional weight because I was crying hysterically, but as far as the weight of it, I didn't feel it. Am I completely crazy? It feels more like a season six finale than it does a six season series finale. The other thing that I found interesting is that the last time I watched this series, I was really, really disappointed and concerned. I didn't get the bigger answers to the bigger questions as to what the island is, who put it there and why, and all this gibberish that really wasn't important. And this, you know, during this viewing today, I just sat there and I enjoyed it for what it was. And I really liked that some characters got some closure. Like I liked that scene between uh, Shannon and Saeed in the alley when Shannon got mugged. And, you know, Saeed came to her rescue. And after he touched her, you saw all the flashes. That was the most effective part of the episode for me. When characters reconnected in the flash sideways and they touched each other and they got the flashes. That was my favorite part. I love that, yes, everyone in the Flash Sideways, which is the only thing I really truly care about and felt satisfied with, when, you know, these soulmates basically find each other again. And it served as a way for the show to kind of have its cake and eat it too, where we got to run through everybody's history in a quick clip montage in a way that didn't feel forced but still got to remind us of six seasons worth of adventure and connection that these people had had and so i do love when it's usually a very significant moment with their true love or someone for almost everyone except this this stood out this time usually it's like a touch or whatever kate sees claire's vagina and that's what brings kate's memory back which was like so weird that she she doesn't have the memories she takes one look at claire's crotch and then all of a sudden bam it's back and i was like what the absolute hell so that one was the only head scratcher that i was i was thinking everybody else is you know it's a touch or a kiss or whatever that brings it back but not kate yeah i did not get that but good on you for noticing it um the other thing that i particularly liked is seeing charlie again i thought that i thought that was nice and sweet and the fact that hurley was with Zaid and hurley was the one that picked up charlie at the hotel and he at first he tries to convince him to come to the show but then charlie is so whacked out drunk that he just doesn't want to cooperate so hurley has to shoot him with the uh, tranquilizer gun and picks him up and puts him in the car and when benefit is about to start and dry shaft is introduced dry shaft goes onto the stage and charlie just locks eyes on claire and even in that moment i started to feel emotion but it's not until later on when claire is giving birth and kate sees the flashback of all her memories with Claire after seeing her vagina. When Charlie puts the blanket on Claire, you see all the flashbacks and that was the one where I cried the most. I lied, that's not the one where I cried the most, but that's the one that got the waterworks really going. How did you feel about that specific scene and that specific setup? No, that is, it is a great scene and I love that everybody coming back together and getting these special moments and that's like the first of like a bunch of special moments in a row because I do love that scene, the Sawyer-Juliet scene is so great obviously the big jack finale is the thing that really gets it going because that's a reflection on the whole series i think that that is the thing to focus on when we talk about this finale is how satisfying all those emotional connections were and the flash sideways being this place that these people have created in an afterlife to wait until each of them are ready to recognize one another and then together as a group of soulmates 
move on to whatever is next. And I did like that in the explanation, it's saying, you know, it's not like this is all happening. They didn't all die at the same time. They weren't dead on the plane crash. Everything that happened on the island happened. Time is not doesn't work the same. So Hurley might have lived a thousand years longer than Jack, but now they're all in the same spot at the same time because they are finally ready. And some of them aren't ready to move on, which is why we see that Eloise and Daniel aren't going to be in that church at the end. Why Ben says he's not going in the church. So I did like that this idea that family and found family can be so important that even when everything is gone, there is still a piece of them that carries over with you into the next. You will wait and they will wait until you are all ready to be together again and then have your final let's do this next step together. So I thought that was like a really sweet idea that even people who you spend a small amount of time with, it's the quality of that time that can then link you forever. And I love how they throw in all sorts of different religious symbols so it's not just one faith or something that they're explaining, and that some people aren't ready and others are. That aspect of the finale, with all of the excitement of when everybody gets their memories back in the Flash Sideways, it's just triumphant moment after triumphant moment, that part is so fun and heartwarming that it just works. But when you start to think about the on-island stuff, it breaks down a little bit. That Desmond being seemingly super important. And then the only reason is because he has to pull a plug and there was too much electromagnetic current around it. So he was the only one who could do it is not satisfying. I know that we're asking too much for it to the episode would have been four hours long. But if we somehow saw that it's not like a physical thing that Desmond has, it was a mental thing that he was one of the only ones who could do it. If we saw that his mind was ping ponging back and forth between time periods and timelines as he's trying to do that, and that we understand all of his consciousness time traveling has been preparing him for this moment, it would have been more satisfying than just he pulls a plug and that's a all that we care about for Desmond on Island. I was like, wow, Widmore and his whole thing, what he wanted to do with the Island, him and Ben's nemesis roles never really crystallized because even if the heart of the Island is all that is good in man, I don't know how that can be monetized or why someone would want to get it, especially because if the protector of the Island, their role is not just to keep man in black on the Island because CJ Craig was a protector of the Island before Smoke Monster even existed. So I needed to just know more of what this heart of the island could be used for in a nefarious way or in a money way to understand why so many of these people were trying to find the island, what they actually wanted to do there. Because if all Charles Widmore wants to do is set up camp and hang out on the island, why does Ben care if Charles Widmore comes and sets up a camp on the island? Doesn't matter. The island is huge, as we have seen. And as this episode plays out, I can't help but think that the temple, the lighthouse, were all just just spinning wheels that didn't mean anything and didn't go anywhere. Even when you really start to think about it, Jacob being this guy who has assembled this team and he basically brings them all to the island to find his successor. If that's the case, why didn't he intervene in season three when they left the island? Why would he let them leave? Well, partly because the writers had never even really thought of what Jacob was going to be or what the people were going to be on the island for. 
but you start to think like Jacob was just hanging out on the other side of the island and he couldn't be bothered to walk over and say, hey, I need one of you guys to take over. That's the kind of stuff that when I evaluate the series as a whole starts to stand out more than it should. But the action and the cool stuff that does happen on island in this episode, you can enjoy even if you try and shove all of that out of your mind but it's a lot to shove out because I do love when Desmond meets up with Rose and Bernard I do love when we see Richard get his first gray hair and he's finally starting to age and I do love when Jack and Man in Black are in the cave Man in Black starts talking about John Locke and Jack says you don't know anything about John Locke you're not him you're just wearing his face now stop being a piece of shit and pretending that you know anything about anything and I love those moments those are satisfying and watching Jack and Kate team up rise up to take out Man in Black once Desmond has pulled that plug and made it so that Man in Black can be killed is mortal and they take him down that stuff is all thrilling So as an episode itself, fantastic action on island and off, obviously, it's only in the greater scheme of things that I just try and not get hung up on it because, yeah, every criticism of this finale seems to be valid, but every pro for this finale is also valid. This finale, to me, was emotional, but it was underwhelming. I really connected to the Flash Sideways stuff more than I did the island stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong, the island stuff got me crying too, but... I felt that the stronger stuff in this episode was with the flash sideways. Now, if I could move back to your other point about how the writers didn't really know what Jacob was or why these people were on the island or why Whitmore wanted the island so much or why in the grander picture why this island needed protecting right why didn't the writers make that light at the center of the island in that little cave when they go down in that little pool where the plug is right they could have made the water surrounding that plug like they could have made it like a fountain of youth situation if you go in there and if you drink from that water or if you get a a, a certain amount of rays you become immortal well and that would that would make a lot more sense in terms of why especially because we've seen that anybody who goes down there dies so it's not like they would go down and it doesn't make sense that a guy like Widmore would want to live forever if it meant that he had to just be camped out on the island for a thousand years when he's this millionaire in the real world I feel like yeah if it was some sort of you can get a fountain of youth or immortality but you can also then leave the island and still have it they didn't go that route at all no but here's the thing my twist on the fountain of youth thing is that once you go down into the tunnel past the light and you drink from the water you get immortality but you can't leave well that's like a indiana jones in the last crusade scenario yeah but it's also like if you couldn't leave then why would you want it i'm saying if you had like a if you had netflix down there then maybe it'd be worth it do you want to hear my pitch on how i would end the show because i think my pitch makes more sense yeah give it to me so first of all i wouldn't i wouldn't have had a, a light at the center of the island what i would have done is i would have had desmond figure out how to travel and control his power to move through time right i would have had him collect all the all losties on the island and all our losties in the flash sideways and i would have had them go into that box that magnetic box that that Whitmore had. And once they go into that box and a certain person turned on that box, our losties in the island timeline and in the flash sideways would come together and become one person in a, in a whole new timeline or in the side flash sideways timeline. So the timeline on the island will get wiped out and the only timeline that will be left is the flash sideways timeline. But, you know, once they move from our island to the flash sideways, their memory from the island remain 
even, even though that the island doesn't. The island is, is non-existent, but their memories, everything that they went through on the island is still in their head. Yeah, and that would be really interesting. And so I guess the other thing that this kind of brings up when we find out that the Flash Sideways is basically this waiting waiting room to move on to the next thing while you collect your squad, basically, is at the end of season five when Juliet detonates the bomb. And then in season six, when her ghost tells Sawyer it worked, was bullshit? Because it didn't work. No, it didn't. It it didn't work at all. She was just now dead and in the, the gathering spot waiting. And that's somehow why she thought it worked. But it didn't prevent the plane from coming to the island because all of that stuff did happen as it did. So that was just a, a false flag that they tried to plant for us. <laughs> I've been very critical as we've gone through the show, and you've been critical, Matt, of the writing, I really think... I, I love Damon. You, you guys know this. I love Carlton, too. But I think that they really didn't have that much of a plan early on. If they had much of a plan early on, I don't think that this would have been so much of a mess. I think you're right. And part of the problem is that as you go, and because Lost was active in creating internet groups that went crazy dissecting every little thing, you were never going to satisfy everyone. And because people had so many theories that the writers tried to swerve against. I feel like that probably undid some of their general planning. And when you start a TV show, you know, ever since Lost, you always hear about showrunners who are like, we have a Bible and we've planned out five seasons. And then their first season is complete shit and the show gets canceled. And you're like, well, you shouldn't have planned out five seasons. Maybe you should have just worried about the season you were doing and made sure it was good, compelling television, which is what Lost did. Every season, they played all of their cards. Like, they literally didn't know what they were going to do next, but they didn't leave anything on the table every year, which, in the run of the show, makes every season super satisfying and all the finales stand out as amazing episodes. But then when it comes time to call it a day, there's going to be a lot of stuff that people can call you on and say, you guys put this and it didn't go anywhere, or you brought this in late just to justify this dumb thing that you did two years ago, but I don't buy the justification. So I see both sides of it. And now... Lost was still in the era of network television, where serialized storytelling on network TV was a taboo that people didn't like to do. They wanted it to be something that you could watch every week and not have to follow along. If you missed three episodes, doesn't matter. You could still watch it. And that was not what this was. And now with streaming, companies tell the creators, plan your season so that every episode ends in a cliffhanger, so that people want to be talking and discussing. And I think that we have to recognize even the fact that this may not have been entirely successful at all of those things. It broke so much ground that is still walked on today because we are watching this finale, you know, now after they produced 120 hours of television. This finale aired 12 years ago. In the last six weeks, I've watched two shows that would not exist in their current format and how they are if Lost had not come first. So when you watch a show like Showtime's Yellow Jackets or HBO Max's Station Eleven, you can see the ripple effect that Lost did cause that changed the way that people tell stories. Obviously, it wasn't the first show to use flashbacks or flash forwards or to have people cross paths seemingly in an innocent way and then having it mean something way more eight episodes later. But they are the ones who really did establish that as a format that worked, that people would get excited about and invested and theorized, even if looking at this under a microscope, 
really shows a lot of the flaws, the feeling and the amount of groundbreaking that this show did, I don't think can be understated. There is no denying the cultural impact that Lost has had on the entertainment industry and the TV industry at large. So I'm not I'm not denying that. What I'm just saying is season six and season five are polar opposites to me. Season five is some of the best television, is some of the best plotting I've ever seen on a TV show, season five. And season six is like the writers, they decide to chop off their head and leave it in the office. Right? Because season five was so well paced and planned out. Everything that they set up, they paid off. Everything. And I'm like, why couldn't you do it again? They had so much stuff that they had to deal with in in the final season of Lost, season six. Even I couldn't answer every question. Sure, I could have given the the people a finale that they didn't want to come to my house and burn my house down with pitchforks. But I couldn't have given them the emotional moments and that emotional payoff that Damon and Carlton eventually did with this finale. But I'm just saying that they could have told a more cohesive, streamlined story. And that that's just my one wish that they would have done. And they, um, I really think that they got lost in the woods with their own mythology at this point. I really did. I think you are kind of right, because the only thing I will definitely say is that looking at season six as a whole, wildly uneven, Flash Sideways starts good, gets super boring, takes over the entire show by the end. And the on-island stuff starts ridiculous, gets kind of good, and then is just abandoned partway through. So I do think that even if they are not going to answer everything, which obviously, if you made a checklist of everything that the fans wanted, you can't put it all in without it starting to feel monotonous and like too much exposition and too much fan service. You have to leave some of it ambiguous. But I feel like the overall plan of the season was not broken down into a satisfying way to keep that level of intrigue and excitement the same throughout. Because we have peaks and valleys, but they're some of the biggest valleys that Lost has ever dealt in. Whereas the peaks, I don't know that they're as high as the previous highs of the show. Which is the thing that it's like, okay, if they had been able to write the entire season and reevaluate all of the pieces before they put it together, could they have made it a more satisfying picture? And I think the answer is yes, but time was not on their side. And again, this was back in the day where your show is going to premiere January 25th, whether it's done or not, you guys need to meet that date. This is not in the time where Netflix will let Ozark take a two-year fucking break between seasons to make sure that when it comes back, it's ready. Network TV doesn't allow that. So they only had the same amount of time they had for any other season. It wasn't like they were given more time or more money to make sure that they could think out everything. So I think under the circumstances, it's satisfying. And I have heard, there was some podcaster who mentioned, you know what? The shows that have perfect Perfect endings often fade from the conversation of culture. Very few of them end up standing the test of time because everybody's satisfied and then just moves on and literally forgets about the show. But the ones that have polarizing endings still 12 years later can spark a heated debate over the merits of those finales. And a lot of those shows live on in the pop culture consciousness more than you would think. People will still go to the mat fighting over The Sopranos series finale. Oh, don't get me started, man. They have a point that, you know, if I was doing a show, I would try and strive for the perfect ending, of course. So you do an ending that would be satisfying, but leaves the door open for these characters to still be out there and functioning. And Lost kind of does this because we don't know what happened to Ajira Air after they got off the island. But I do 
love that that bookend of Jack's awakening and Jack's death, those perfect visual images that do feel like that would have been in the book from day one. I have several favorite moments from the finale. Like the moment that got me, I lost all composure and I was just a blubbering mess was when Sawyer, you know, asked Jack in the um, flash sideways, where could he get some grub? And he went to the vending machine and he saw Juliet the second that they touched hands and the flash started, I lost it. I mean, I was already, I was already on the brink, but that really pushed me the fuck over. But there was something so satisfying about seeing Claire, Kate, Sawyer, uh, Richard and LaFleur fly away on that plane i like to think that they escaped i like to believe that they got off the island and they went back to civilization Mm -hmm. and at some point they died they went into heaven's waiting room so to speak right right yeah after they died so i believe that those people on that plane lived a full life yes and then eventually they came back to the church into the flash sideways at the point of their deaths. Yeah, because time doesn't work the same. I tend to believe that too. Speaking about fair moments, is there a moment in the finale that really made you like like almost fall apart like I did? Yeah, there's a couple. Obviously, as a guy who always talks about the Jack and Locke scenes, their moment right before the surgery and right after are just perfect. I love when Locke has remembered everything and Jack is still not there. They're extremely Exchange. Having Hurley become the protector of the island after all he has been through and this guy who, you know, feels like life has been shitting on him for so long in this timeline gets to step up and be someone important. And then from the moment that Jack steps into the back room of the church until the episode is over, obviously is just... I remember the first time this aired, I had a bunch of friends over because at the time, big screen TVs weren't as prevalent as they were. So I had the biggest TV that anybody that I knew had. So they all came to my house to watch the series finale of Lost. And I just remember looking around the room and there's a bunch of grown men weeping. (laughs) which is not something you normally want to do with your friends around, but nobody could help themselves. It was just too emotional. And so those last 10 minutes, just even if you want to be cynical about Lost, I dare you not to cry during those last 10 minutes. Yeah, I mean, those last 10 minutes, to me, the the moment of the episode is where Jack is finally reunited with Christian in the church. And Christian just says, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says that everything that you went through happened and you needed these people as much as they needed you in your life. But that speech by Christian Shepard, that, that was my favorite moment of the episode. You know, it truly was. Have that nice tender moment where they finally hug and they say, I love you. I'm like, oh, I was I was just blubbering on the floor at that point. As we slowly wrap up here, what's your favorite season of Lost? I think, you know, the the perfect season overall is probably season one, where there's still so much potential, but you know that my favorite episode of Lost is the season three finale. So season one and three are the ones that stand up the most for me. It's tough to pick straight up favorite season because the flash forwards were so exciting to me that I absolutely love that they introduced that. The way that they mix different kinds of flashbacks into five while the action really ramps up. I would say, I I don't want to sound like some sort of reverse Star Trek movie kind of guy, but it's the 
it's the odd seasons. One, three, and five seem to be the ones I gravitate to more. You know, until we started the rewatch on the show, I had never really, I mean, I think about Lost in some capacity every day that I live, but I had really never thought about what my favorite season was or what my favorite episodes were. And this rewatch really compelled me to focus in on that as we were getting closer to the finale. So I would have to say that my favorite season of Lost is season five. I think that season is, again, I think that season is one of the most perfect seasons of TV that I've ever seen. It's just so exciting and it's got the emotion, that's for sure. You know, I said it before and I'll say it again. It was so well plot out and everything that they introduced early on, they paid off. And I know that some fans don't like that. I know that some fans like ambiguity, but I really appreciated that as a fan. The only other scene that I think I got to talk about before we say goodbye to this era is obviously one of the best performers on the show has been Michael Emerson as Ben Linus. And his scene outside the church, before we get the emotion of the Matthew Fox, Christian Shepherd stuff, when he gets to basically have his moment with Hugo and Hugo thanks him for being a great number two. He says that he's not ready to go. And then his moment with Locke where he gets to apologize for murdering John was one of the most satisfying moments because Michael Emerson has been able to show such a range, but this side of Ben is something we almost never see. And to see his journey end this way with him acknowledging his wrongdoing, saying that the apology meant a lot, and then being able to say, I'm not ready was just, you know, give the guy another Emmy because he was so damn good in that moment. And it's good closure on that lock and Ben dynamic, that's one of the standout scenes I just wanted to give a shout out before we moved on. Yeah, that's just Michael Emerson. I mean, I think that I've been the bigger Michael Emerson cheerleader throughout this rewatch of Lost than you've been, but you are goddamn right. Michael Emerson in that specific moment when he finally apologized to Locke for killing him was just pitch perfect. It was really, really, really well done. It was great. Before we go, Matt, do you want to tell uh, the good folks what we have coming up here on Radio 815 in the coming months? Going forward, guys, now that we have finished up with Lost, first, we're going to give everybody a two-week break to decompress and get ready before we move on, and then we are going to dip our toe into the J.J. Abrams cinematic universe. What does that mean? It means that for about a month here on Radio 815, we're actually going to take a look at some of the movies that J.J. has been involved in, starting with his earliest writing credits. That's right, Jim Belushi fans. Buckle up, because we're going to be taking a look at Taking Care of Business, as well as the Harrison Ford drama regarding Henry, the Mel Gibson epic Forever Young. And then, before we take a break from the movies, we will talk about J.J. Abrams' theatrical directorial debut Mission Impossible 3. Taking a quick break, switch into movie mode, then we are going to ramp those up before we decide to start investigating some weird stuff with a special division of fringe science that you guys might have heard of. So if you join us in the coming weeks, we will be talking a lot more about JJ's career as a writer, shifting into directing, and then back into our TV rewatches with a fringe rewatch. All right, guys. So with all that housekeeping out of the way, I think that does it for this edition of Radio 815. Listen, if you guys like anything that we do here and you want to reach out to us, giving us comments, compliments, or what have you, there are a couple ways to do that. 
first, you can just simply use the hashtag on Twitter, Radio815, and if we get any questions on there or comments, we'll address them on the show at some point. Or you can reach out to us on our official Twitter. It's JJUniverse815. Or if you just want to speak to us individually, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. But Matt, if the good folks at home want to reach you, what would be the best place for them to do that? On Twitter, at Matt Crandall. All right, guys. So till we come back from vacation, as always, we'll talk back soon. Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.